Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I think partly because I was a fan of YouTube, so I knew the ins and outs of everything, and I kind of, I soaked up so much that I was able to give advice on based on what I had seen. Um, and I, I think at the time there was just no, there was no roadmap. So there was nothing for me to learn because there, nothing had been really done yet. So it was kind of making things up as, as everyone went. Um, and just being a hustler and figuring things out, trying to look at new opportunities, trying to increase the value of whatever deal was being done, just, you know, it just kind of happened. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Great to have you back again. Thank you so much for all your support. You guys are truly, truly amazing. And we've got a great show for you today with Scott Fisher, an incredibly unique and interesting person in the entertainment business, dealing with an area of influencers that seem to continuously reinvent entertainment and change the world. Before I get started, I just want to let you know that you can reach me at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram or at BarryKatz.com. Again, I'm grateful for all the messages you send me. Please keep them coming and I'll be honored to answer them. And without further ado, let me introduce Scott and enjoy. I know you will. Scott Fisher is a successful entrepreneur and proven leader who has been at the forefront of digital talent and content movement for many, many years. In 2010, Scott founded one of the first digital-focused talent management and production companies that became known as Select Management Group in 2014. Select Management Group is a leading multifaceted entertainment company that specializes in next generation talent representation, original premium content, brand and new venture deals, and bridging the gap between digital and traditional entertainment. 
At a very young age, Fisher saw the untapped opportunity to build digital stars and traditional talent into full-fledged entrepreneurs, empowering them to have a seat at the table. And when he was 18 years old, he produced his first web series and casted YouTuber Gigi Gorgeous as the series star, all the while working at Starbucks to make ends meet. As a result, he landed a first look development deal with a leading production company at the age of 19. From building the infrastructure from the ground up and setting the tone of how Select operates to writing the rules about how the game is played, Fisher has been instrumental in building the successes of Select's next generation talent managers and the company's operations to foster their respective endeavors. As a pioneer, Scott has led his clients to build long-lasting careers and has been behind hundreds of landmark brand partnership deals with Fortune 500 companies, including Revlon, Crest, and Coca-Cola. Founded in 2014 as a leading multifaceted entertainment company, Select is a hidden gem in the industry and one of the digital space's largest management firms in Hollywood with a combined talent reach of 270 million. They represent more YouTube stars than any other management company or talent agency, like Tyler Oakley and Gigi Gorgeous, to name a few. In addition, Select develops and produces original award-winning film and television series, as well as fosters new business ventures in consumer products and technology under their entertainment holding company, Third Act. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man who was named one of Los Angeles Business Journal's top 20 in their 20s. Please welcome my guest today, what an honor, Scott Fisher. Hello. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I have so many questions to ask you. Normally, I have all the caucus who sit across from me, people who are the average age passed away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the people who leave the podcast and they go home and they change the tennis balls on their walker. Mm -hmm. So you're very young. You're old enough to be my grandson. But you're in a world that's really, really exciting that people don't really understand. They don't know a lot about. And I'm really, really happy to talk about it. But before I get into it, and how you got excited about social media and how you turned into an entrepreneurial soul. I want you to share with the audience where you grew up, what was the economics of the situation, was your family together, were they separated, were they funny, were they not funny, did they sit around and watch television as a family, did they fragment? Yeah. And what was your first inspiration for getting into this crazy business and more specifically, the business of social media and internet content? Yeah. I was always the kid that would try to put all of my friends into a girl group or make a movie or whatever it was. Um, grew up near a farm in Canada, outside of Toronto. Um, and I was, I was always that that kid that was in the basement on my computer and my parents were trying to tell me to go play sports or go do something in the real world. Um, but I was just always on the computer and making websites, doing different things. Um, I actually had a podcast in high school, 2000, whatever, six, seven. Who were you interviewing? Um, my friend. It was just my, my friend and I talking. Um, we got picked up by SiriusXM. GoDaddy was our sponsor. 
Um, now, why days. would two high school kids from Canada be picked up by Sirius XM? What was it about the content that made them say, we're going to syndicate this? What was it about the viewership? They're not going to pick up something that has six viewers. Well, truthfully, at the time, there were probably only 50 to 100 podcasts at all. Um, so I think it was we were just kind of early and you happen to be on the charts and people just keep watching. Um, but I think it was we were probably the, some of the youngest people to be doing podcasts at that time. Um, so that might have been it. Um, now, did you have a podcast that you listened to way back then that was an inspiration to you? Not really. There were There were some we listened to, but there was nothing really similar to what we did and honestly it was a it was just a funny thing we did that ended up becoming something relatively interesting um and then I went my whole my whole kind of goal was to be a television producer wanted to be in reality tv got into you know the best broadcasting school in Canada working at Starbucks to pay through college you talked about economics typical middle class family um never never had any economic hardship but never you know got everything I asked for um, no connection in any way to entertainment whatsoever um, was in college again being that kid that always wanted to bring people together and do something I said to my friends let's make a web series so that when we graduate school we'll have something to put on our resumes and to show so I created a web series we ended up this was 2009 this was a scripted web series it was a semi-unscripted scripted web series got it um, and how many episodes did you end up doing of it we did eight episodes and then we ended up so we we cast a youtuber at the time to be on the show from canada from canada um, i literally googled top toronto youtubers and i emailed a bunch of them and you know one replied at the time it was a big deal to have a hundred thousand subscribers and make so he had a hundred thousand subscribers yeah and you offered him a role as one of the stars of the series. Yeah. And then, obviously, he sent that message out to all of his fans. And one person tells ten people, ten tell a hundred, a hundred tell a thousand, yeah. a thousand tell a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand tell a million. Yeah. And so, were you starring in it? No, no. Totally. You were behind the scenes. Yeah. Were you directing it? It's kind of... It was, you know, my friends that had cameras, I just was like, everyone can, who can help out, try And you did eight episodes, and from cradle to grave in college, how much did that cost you? Oh, 2500 bucks or 2500 for yeah, eight episodes. Yeah. Got and it. then we, so I was working at Starbucks, and I would go to Starbucks from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m., 1 p.m. to whenever I would do this web series. And um, we ended up getting written up in, you know, what would have been like the New York Times of Canada, like a very, it's called the Globe and Mail, a very reputable newspaper. Um, and then we got optioned for broadcast TV by a production company. I got a first look deal myself. And then it, you know, I thought I made it at the time I was still working at Starbucks. Um, okay, so stay there yeah. with me. So it has how many views on YouTube? Right before you get the call that somebody wants to syndicate it and then somebody wants to give you an overall deal. The day before, how many views did the total collection have? Probably two million or so. Two million. Yeah. Which back then, yeah. like 200 million. Exactly. Yeah. 
Okay, so you have two million. When's the first time you walked in public and somebody said, hey, uh, that's your show, isn't it? That's or somebody question. who starred on the show was like, hey, that's your, uh, you're in oh, the... I think right away, with definitely with the people that were on it, because it was the cast were people I knew from college, because I just said, you want to be on this reality show? Put, put, I'll put you on it. Um, and then I ended up meeting people that were fans, and it was kind of like a tongue-in-cheek, almost a satire in a sense. So it wasn't take, it wasn't like a serious um, thing, but it was fun, and it kind of opened my eyes to the process to actually get something on the air. Um, now it's tough to get something on the air in Canada. Yeah, I think there's only been one sitcom on in Canada for the last seven years. It was Mr. D. Yeah. With Jerry D. Yeah. I mean, one. Am I wrong? Well, the the interesting thing is the government subsidizes a lot of it, but it just it's a hit and miss of what they choose to fund. So you get the first look deal from which network in Canada? It's from a production company. From a production company yeah. in Canada. So they still have to make it, finance it, and then sell it to a Canadian broadcaster. And like I said, I thought I made it when I got the the development deal it never ended up going to broadcast and i was still working at starbucks because i still had to pay for college um and i realized in that time that i wanted to not just produce i wanted to be a manager as well and i saw the star of this this web series that i created was doing all this stuff on youtube and didn't have any kind of business set up behind them because there was no one representing that type of talent at the time um, so I said, I'm still working at Starbucks. I'm waiting for the show to go. I'll manage you on the side. I would literally be in the bathroom when I was supposed to be cleaning the toilets, like doing, making up deals out of my ass, trying to figure things out. Um, and we were both just hustlers and there was no roadmap. So we made it up as we went. Um, that ended up doing, doing well for me. Well, as in I made more than I made at Starbucks. Got it. So yeah. let's talk about your friend who was the star of the web series. How many total followers did he have on his YouTube channel? Probably about 150,000 at that time. Got it. And back then, why don't you explain to the audience, what year was this? 2009. So about 11 years ago, 10 years ago, back then, explain to our audience what the monetization equation and formula was for an artist 10 years ago and then explain how it's changed today, 10 years later. At the time, it was mostly YouTube AdSense, which is, you know, the ads that play before the videos. And, you know, that could be anything from $3 for every thousand views you get to 15, 20, 25, whatever it ended up being. Why did it change back then? It's still the same model now. You basically get paid based on the advertisers that are bidding against the content. So whoever wins the bid and has the highest price gets the ad placement for that one ad. Um, and it can vary depending on the type of content or the time of year. The end of the year is a big time for holiday and things like that. Um, so AdSense was a big thing and it was a big deal to make 100000 a year on AdSense. That was kind of the headline at the time that, you know, there are YouTubers making 100000 a year. So 10 years ago, if a YouTuber made 100000 a year, how much money was in the pie and how was it being broken up? So 100000 went to the artist, 
how much went to YouTube, how much went to AdSense as a commission. What was the breakdown back then? So the 100000 that went to the artist is obviously, um, you know, the net. YouTube takes 45%. Okay, so YouTube still takes 45%? Still takes 45%. So it hasn't changed? No. It's 55-45, yeah. But doesn't AdSense take a commission to service at all? AdSense is owned by YouTube, so it's all kind of one thing. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then at the time, there were some brand partnerships happening. So this this client was actually, her name is Gigi Gorgeous. At the time, her name was Gregory Gorgeous. She transitioned. Um, so she was she was using a hair straightener and would get paid $5,000 or whatever it was. Um, so that was a, a... She was using a hair straightener that for every hair straightener that was sold, she'd make a commission on it. Or she just got a flat fee to, to use it and to mm-hmm. show it and then maybe commission on top of that or something. Um, and at, at, you know, 10, 12 years ago, that was kind of the earlier days of that whole thing. Um, now it's obviously influencer marketing is, I don't, even, I don't know the number right now, but it's a billion dollar industry at least. All right. So let's go back to the story. So... Now your deal fell through, you're at Starbucks, you decide to manage this person, but in the best case scenario, at that time, they're making $100,000, and how are you changing his money with your management style if he's already making the money from the videos? How at that young age did you decide to make a difference? Like for me, if I meet a young artist in the traditional sense, I know how I'm going to add value. I know I'm going to, with my knowledge and their talent, help them get ready to write a book, help them get ready to audition for acting films, acting jobs in comedy and drama and film, television. I'm going to help them prepare for radio, podcasting. I'm going to help them prepare for hosting. I'm going to go through the whole litany, animation, every single thing, and I'm going to work my experience to help them increase the money that they're already making. It seems to me when you manage a YouTube person, they're already in the formula of doing what they're doing. So unless you are a tremendous visionary when it comes to content and how you can show them, hey, you know, like I know you're doing this and I know it's working. You have 100,000 followers, but I think if you do videos that are one minute shorter and add five more jokes per minute, I think you're going to get more. Or if you start cutting these things together fast, I think you'll see a difference. Is that what you did? And if you did do that, how did you know to tell somebody something of what to do when you're so young, you're working at Starbucks, you're not exactly a... Rhodes Scholar when it comes to expertise, when it comes to any type of business, you're yep. working at Starbucks. Yep. So why would anybody believe you to help them get to the next level? I think partly because I was a fan of YouTube, so I knew the ins and outs of everything, and I kind of, I soaked up so much that I was able to give advice on based on what I had seen. Um, and I, I think at the time there was just no, there was no roadmap. So there was nothing for me to learn because there, nothing had been really done yet. So it was kind of making things up as, as everyone went um, and just being 
a hustler and figuring things out, trying to look at new opportunities, trying to increase the value of whatever deal was being done. Just, you know, it just kind of happened. Um, and so your first client, the first year, what do you end up making? Me personally? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in the first year, like 25 K. Awesome. Yeah. And so that's your first client, your first thing. And then as we all know, artists are like grandmothers. They tell everybody when things are going well and they tell everybody when things are going shitty. Yeah. And so the word got out, hey, this young guy, Scott, is doing a really great job for me. I went from making $97,000 to 250000 and I only have to give this guy 25000 I made an extra 100000 It's It's worth it. Mm-hmm. And so then people started coming to you? Started coming to me. I was able to quit Starbucks. Yeah. I dropped out of college, hired a couple people, got an office, um, ended up by word of mouth and just reaching out, having the clients I had, um, worked up to like 25 clients um, and, and had a pretty good business in Toronto. And so you got 25 clients and they're all from Canada. No, so there were, I had clients that I never, never had even met who lived in New York, who lived in Australia, who lived in uh, the UK, um, some that were in Canada but not, not near me. And since it was all digital, like there was no barrier and there were no issues and no one had to be in a certain place to do the job. Um, so it just kind of happened that I, I had clients that I, that I hadn't met for years until, um, have been working with them for years until I met them. I met one client who I lived in Toronto, she lived in New York, and we met for the first time in Sweden when we were shooting a commercial for a hair care company. Um, and she's still a client today. So. It, it, it kind of broke the rules of how the typical process of signing and working with someone went. And so tell our audience what it is that you do to change an influencer's life. Because they already are an influencer. They've already figured out how to get people a lot of these people have no knowledge of the business. A lot of these people have no knowledge of marketing and they just stumble upon a system that works for them and people latch onto and there's no influencer management college. Yeah. So what is your formula when you open your office? You, you know you want to sign these people. You know you can make 10% of what they get from that point forward. So automatically, if they're already making, let's say, a minimum of 100000 a year, and you're signing 20 people or 25 people, already you're in a position where a minimum you're going to make $250,000 in the shitty year. Yeah. Maybe a hundred and fifty thousand. Obviously, you have expenses, but you're automatically in. You can't lose. But where you can lose is when you don't increase all those people's earnings. Exactly. And then they start talking about you, and then you're in deep shit. Yeah. So I want to know, like, you meet with an influencer, you sit down with them, and you say, "Listen, I know you're doing really well." 
but if you work with me, you're going to do exponentially better. And this is why. So I want you to give our audience, take them in the room of a signing meeting. And what do you say to the artist that makes them drop their dress to the floor or their pants to the floor and say, take me. <laughs> um, I think it's all about having someone in your corner that's going to fight for you and advocate for you um, and help you navigate all the different things that are changing so quickly. And a lot of the time they just want a, someone that feels like a partner and someone that feels like is in the, in the fight with them. And when you, like you said, you can kind of build an audience on your own and be on an island and you're the shooter, editor, producer, you know, business person all in one. You want someone else to bounce things off of. You want someone that can take some things off your plate. So the first thing is, you know, they get a barrage of emails every day from all of these companies looking to work with them. How do you decide what's, what's the right move, how to respond, what to ask for, how to handle something? Um, and that was usually the first step of like, okay, you have so much coming at you. Let's figure out what is worth doing. What's not worth doing. Let's put a strategy to that. Um, usually they're, you know, if you're an independent creator, you're usually underselling yourself. So you might not know that this other client got, and it's the same in traditional entertainment, this other client got this, you should get that as well. Um, so I think it was, it was educating them on like the, the precedents that have been set, how things had developed, um, and, and looking towards what their goals were in building, you know, bigger than just the AdSense or the brand partnerships on top of that. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. All right, so you help these people out. You help them with the brand deals. But when you're doing brand deals, which is something I don't talk a lot about on the podcast, that's why I was excited to have you here, because I do a lot of these deals. Like today, I was just looking at the last few deals I did with an artist that I work with who is not a guy who has 100 million followers, but for a comedian, it's great. But for an influencer, it's not Logan Paul yeah. numbers. Yeah. And so we were looking over each deal that was done for this person that was under $100,000 each deal, but somewhere in there. And each one had its own components. Some were based on CPM only. Mm -hmm. Some were based on them giving them 
a piece of equipment like a car or something like yeah. that. Some were based on not CPM, but their ability to create amazing content, which the company would amplify and put tons of money towards getting it out on all platforms and then adding viewership and adding followers to the person's existing followership. Yeah. So it added value that way. So there were many, many different ways that this person did deals. And I find that obvi obviously the, the buyer who wants to try to squeeze the social influencer is the one that only wants to do the CPM deal. And now, obviously, if a person has 100 million followers, I don't think you're going to go wrong on that deal either. But And those are hard to get sometimes but, at that audience level. Yeah, but most people don't do that. And then the other side of it as a manager is the difficulty of figuring out how to do a branding thing where you get paid to where it doesn't look like you're selling out that it looks like it's organic. So yeah. if you do do something with a car and somebody gives you a Mercedes, that you just aren't doing your post saying, wow, I love my new Mercedes in yeah. this thing. And then you're sort of fighting with the creative of the people who do it who want you to say certain things that could hurt your career and hurt your brand. Yeah. So you have to balance those things so your audience doesn't catch the fact that you're selling out, which you actually are. Yeah. But you have to do it in a way where your audience doesn't understand that that's what you're doing. It has to be disguised in some way, but also satisfy the person writing the check. Mm -hmm. So I want you to explain to our audience the different ways that you monetized your clients' social influencer campaigns your biggest worry about how many posts in a month or a week would hurt them versus help them? Is there like a line that you draw in the sand? Are there do's and don'ts that are like, listen, I don't care how much money, I can't have him do that. Yeah. I can't have her do that. I'm not doing it. I don't care how much money you have, it's going to just cheese factor, it's going to kill them. Yeah. And lastly, explain to our audience, even though I know, explain to the audience what CPM is and how it's measured and what's the typical low ball to high ball offer in that department. So on the first side of choosing the scope and choosing the right partnerships and making sure it makes sense. Obviously the word organic is overused all the time, but it's, it's about it feeling like a right fit. So it could be really commercial. It could be really in your face, but it might be really funny or really unique or really interesting. And it makes it make sense. Or, you know, the, the fee might not be there, but it helps elevate the talent in some other way, whether it's, you know, they get, television placement and commercials for a year, they get billboards, um, or they were looking for that partner anyway. So like sometimes, you know, someone might, we, we work with a lot of females and a lot of lifestyle, fashion and beauty. 
you know, they might already be wearing extensions, hair extensions all the time. So it actually makes sense for them or they might've been planning to, you know, we work with, with chefs, they might've been planning to use those pots and pans in, in videos. So might as well um, find a partnership that makes sense. Um, so it's always a dance. It's always picking and choosing what makes sense. A lot of it based on our relationships and the talent we work with comes to us. So it's not always necessarily us pitching and looking for looking for, for opportunities, because at the end of the day, a brand usually decides what their budget is, they kind of know who they want to work with, and then those opportunities um, end up coming to us and to the, to the talent. So um, a lot of it is just making sure that we're helping them make the right decisions, because there's only so many slots, like you said, that you can kind of use for advertisement. Um, and that's, that always depends on you know, the talent, their schedule, what they want to be doing. Um, but we're definitely careful to make sure that they're aware as they're agreeing to things that, you know, you just agreed to, you would, this would, this would mean you agreed to do, you know, a sponsored post once a week for the next three months, which obviously doesn't always make sense. Um, so that on that side, that's kind of how we look at it. CPM means cost per meal, which in French meal is thousand. So it's cost per thousand. Um, and that can mean cost per thousand views, cost per thousand likes, can mean cost per thousand whatever. But typically it's on, it's on views or on impressions. Um, and on YouTube, we tend to take the most recent six to eight videos and we do a CPM on the low ball as low as $30, um, anywhere from 30 to $150. Um, so if someone's, you know, having a million views of video, you can kind of do that math on, on where it would end up. And that range can depend on, you know, them doing a very quick product mention up to a fully custom, fully produced video for a brand. Um, so that's, that's usually how the pricing works. Tell us an example of a deal that seems like it's great, but you would recommend your client not do and tell our audience about a deal that doesn't necessarily seem so great, but that you would really encourage your client to do. So on the seems great, but in reality probably isn't, is the typical, you know, you're getting a million dollars, you have to do hundreds of posts, and they're using your name and likeness for years to come. You have no choice, um, and that happens. You know, there's a lot of brands who just want to throw money at something, but expect obviously a lot in return. Um, so at times we'll we'll ask to take a lower fee in exchange for lower deliverables and lower everything else. Um, and on the on the kind of side where it it makes sense, you know, if a client if their dream is to have a makeup line and they want to know what their, what their conversion could be, what their sales would be. Let's do a smaller collaboration with an established brand. You might not necessarily make the huge paycheck you want it to make, um, but you'll get the data and you'll get the information. And then it becomes worth it because you, know, you have something to build something that you own later. So um, that's one example. When's the last time you fucked up something? and you had to come clean with an artist and how did it shake out? That's a good question. I think one, one that comes up for us across the board is taking on too much. Um, and like I said before, we try our best to 
tell the talent that they might be taking on too much, but sometimes we lose track because we see the business that could that could come from it. Um, so I think one example of a fuck up would be taking too many deals at the same time. Sometimes if the attorney is improperly checking either overlapping exclusivity, over overlapping timing, overlapping all those kinds of things. Um, and there have been instances in the past where that led to issues with different things happening at different times, um, just because everyone got so excited by so many opportunities and potentially so much money um, that they weren't thinking, and I wasn't thinking as closely about how it all kind of, how all the plans land land at the right times. Got it. And so going back to the transition from Starbucks to your own office, when did you realize that? I don't think I'm going to be doing anything else is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Was there a moment that happened? Was there a deal that happened where you felt that that was the case? I think the biggest wake-up call was when I had, I had still been enrolled in college and I was still kind of half-assed trying to keep it going. And it got to the point that they told me, hey, you don't, you don't look like you have a good shot of graduating properly on time. What do you want to do? Um, and that was the decision I made of like, I'm already on track to do something in, in entertainment that I was looking to do. I'll just drop out. I can spend more time on, on what I'm doing. Um, and then the other side was getting the actual office, having employees that I had to, um, that relied on me for their paychecks. And then it, it feels real at that point when you have a physical space, physical people with you doing that, and you don't have any classes to go back to. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. So, next thing I want you to do is I want you to talk about some of the clients you've worked with and what is it about them that's different about a normal artist. There's something that I don't understand about your world. In the acting profession, there are shitty actors that work and there's great actors that work. There's actors that are expensive, that have never been considered a great actor or actress. And there's actresses who aren't that expensive that are considered great actors or actresses. Mm -hmm. 
There's actors who do one thing bad and you never see them again in anything. And then there's actresses like Rosario Dawson who work with great people and great projects all the time. But I think if you were to look at the expansive resume, you'd see very little blockbusters in there, yet everybody always still wants to work with her. So in your world, it seems like there's like a shorter lifespan. Mm -hmm. It's like getting one of those Burmese dogs. It's like that beautiful dog. It's like, I want that dog. And then you look, oh, it only lives six to eight years. And then you look at another dog, oh, that dog lives 15, 16 years. So I want to talk about the lifespan of your artists, but I also want to talk about the relationship between talent and being an influencer. Because there's some very talented influencers and very funny guys. Some who've transferred from the old days to being an influencer. Some who are probably 50, like Jason Nash. Mm -hmm. Always funny, always holy shit funny. Aligns himself with some young people. Yeah. Brings the comedy, gets out. Um... But I just, I guess I'm disturbed by the fact that an influencer can be a six and a half year old kid opening presents and be a multimillionaire. Yeah. I don't see a six and a half year old kid acting opening presents and being able to carry a movie. Is it talent? And so, what I want to ask you, the difficult question, you know the work of like Daniel Day-Lewis and Meryl Streep, or even if you're a reality show guy, you have to admit that Ryan Seacrest does a fucking amazing job as a host, or Greg Kinnear, or Bob Costas, Jimmy Kimmel, or... Joe Rogan on the podcast that a lot of times you just listen to. Mm -hmm. Here's a guy who breaks every rule there is and is number one. Your whole life, your whole career, you're told, short, cut it down, short, get it out there, fast pace, whatever. Joe Rogan, three three hours and 15 minute podcast, he's number one in the world. Yeah. So I want you to address how you build your career and feel necessarily like you're working with massively talented people, do they feel they're massively talented or do they just feel like, hey, I'm just a regular person putting the shit up? Or do they all believe that they are like De Niro and they're like Cameron Crowe and they're like... Doug Lyman and Steven Spielberg, but on the internet. I think, so, 
on the the career span and, and the timing and everything, I've always said that everything in our world is in hyperspeed. So what would happen in a year in uh, theatrical or traditional media happens in you know a week um, in our in our space. And same with the talent's longevity. Someone that used to have you know a 30-year career, they could in, in our world it could be that the same thing for them happens but in a much condensed period of time and they're not necessarily disappointed that they're not having that heat for that long because they made a lot of money found the success they wanted and then maybe they want to retreat um other people have been you know making money on the internet consistently and kept up their kind of fan base for 15 years obviously that's since the beginning of all this starting so we don't know how it's going to play out later um but there is longevity to it. People didn't didn't think this would happen for more than you know. The bubble was always bursting, um, but it hasn't. Uh, it's it's proven to be really resilient and and only growing. Um, and I think in terms of the the talent, are they talented? How does that all play out? I think it's it's it really as cheesy as it is. It really does kind of come down to star quality when you meet someone and you talk to them. And do they come into the room with some kind of presence and something interesting about them? Um, nine times out of ten, they they do for us when we meet people and we and we decide to work with them. I always say that our clients would have been successful in the old world. They just would have been a host on you know a broadcast network, or they would have been um, you know doing something something else. They're smart people and they're entrepreneurial, and I think that's why I was able to from the early days, understand them, it was because I had, I kind of spoke the same language of just like figuring things out, working as hard as you can and making it happen for yourself. Cause there aren't gatekeepers in, well, now I guess I'm technically one of them, but there are fewer gatekeepers in digital or whatever you would say the space is. Um, so you kind of make your own success. If you, you build it and then you kind of, people come to you once you're successful. Um, so I think it's about, not only talent, it's also about how hard you work and how smart you are and how strategic you are with the decisions you make and the relationships you build and keep. Um, I think it's it's not all high art, but it there is a level of someone having that thing that people want to pay attention to. There's a reason people want to watch them, whether it's because they're emotional and they spill all of their guts on camera every day or because they're really funny or because their group of friends is really interesting or their family's interesting um, or they're just relatable. And that's the whole TikTok world. I feel like an old man now looking at TikTok, I'm 29, I'm not old. Um, but that whole space is like, people are just fascinated to see, you know, the cool girl in high school, all the kids look up to them and it's just a whole new generation of, of these people. So. There's definitely a level of talent and star quality, but there's also the the business mindset and the work ethic. Cause you can be, you know, you can have the audience, but if you don't give them anything and you go and you go dark, they go away. So it's, it's always about keeping things up and keeping things fresh and keeping things interesting. If you were to poll the top 200 social influencers in the world and they were to do an anonymous vote 
where they no one saw their vote and they couldn't vote for themselves and somebody said i want you to vote for the most extraordinary innovative original unique authentic content creator on the internet who would the top five people they would come up with that's a hard one it's a very hard one um i think the problem is that it changes so often there aren't like the like the the a-listers or the legends that stay on top for so long it, it can vary based on what's happening at the time and i'm not necessarily talking about that they the number one person in their mind as far as being original authentic might be number 198 on the list of how many people they have following them. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, are there five people that when you look at what they're doing, you're like, holy shit, that is... I'll give you an example, yeah. and maybe this is a bad example because it's parody, and it could be argued that parody is not authentic comedy but i always had a lot of respect for what bart baker did because he spent a lot of money every month to make that music video where he became the artist and he mocked everything about it there'd be different things but he tried to like recreate the video and then write his own words to it and then go into makeup and do all these things and cast all these people. And it was like a little movie mm -hmm. or music video every month. Now, again, it's parody. So I can't say that that's... You wouldn't look at Weird Al Yankovic, even though wildly successful, you wouldn't say that's the most original kind of art form. Mm -hmm. But... I always felt that very few influencers made that much effort and spent that much money on their content as he did. Mm -hmm. Now, again, he got older, so I don't know if he went from like 12 million followers to 1 million. I have no idea. You would know, and that's what you're probably going to comment on right now. Well, I don't know. This this is this was maybe a year or two or a couple a few years ago, but he was I think he was becoming a pop star in China. Like it went to a whole different different thing. I'm actually, after this, I'm going to look up what he's up to. But again, would it be correct or incorrect with my presumption that very few people spend the kind of time, effort, and money to do what he used to do? Yeah, I think he, he definitely pioneered that whole, and that was the early days of Maker of the Station, like putting that all together. Um, he pioneered that kind of thing. Um, I think now it's just being done differently. Like you see, and I don't rep these these two examples, but people like Mr. Beast or David Dobrik who are throwing hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars into maybe not necessarily the production, but they're giving money away or they're paying for some experience that is interesting for people to watch. Um, I think the example that first came to mind was David Dobrik because he... In, he innovated the format of really quick, fast cut vlogs. Every video of his is four minutes and 20 seconds. Um, All right, stop there. Because yeah. only you know this and a few select people who are in your area of expertise. 
Now, obviously, you know what 420 means. I think it was a joke to start, and then it, it kept going, yeah. So it had nothing to do with that being the amount of time that's helpful for a video. I don't, I don't think so. I think it, it probably was a sweet, roughly a sweet spot. Obviously, he chose that time timestamp for a reason. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of the, the time on YouTube that you're kind of guaranteed for someone to watch the whole thing. I thought you were kind of guaranteed somebody to watch the whole thing if it's under a minute. <laughs> well, it's eh, there's there nothing really on YouTube is under a minute. Does anybody not finish a TikTok video? Yeah, all the time. Like when you're on TikTok, I'll see something for three seconds and I know I'm not interested, and I just scroll, and you just keep going. You can tell like right away. TikTok is a whole other thing. It's it's crazy. Um, but David also had, and I'm hoping of someone who's not my client. Shout out to David. Um, but he, he created the group of friends around him. There's a cast, anyone in the orbit automatically becomes, um, you know, the get audience. He did the, you know, interesting things where he's giving certain things away to the audience. He's really smart about how he teases things. He was, I think, and he's still, he's still hyper successful. Um, and he created a new format. So I think it's not necessarily about who has the highest production quality, but it's about who did something differently that, that flipped it on its head. Why don't influencers do that? Why wouldn't they say to their fans, okay, every week we have a different lottery. Everybody who's a follower goes into the thing and I'm going to do the drawing every Friday to see who wins $10,000. Why don't they do that? They kind of do. Like there's, it's, it's not that it might be smart to do it that methodically. Um, but there's always some kind of incentive with everybody of, you know, if you are the 10th person to comment, you get this product or you get $10,000 or I'm going to send a hundred of my fans that need it, need some help. I'll send each of them a thousand dollars or whatever. Um, a lot of that happens. Yeah. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It's centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years. He was the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hit men from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. 
And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I've partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard, and because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this, and I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels you pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.